0: And so I'm going to challenge you, the next time that you use your money for something that is for the pleasures of sin, may the Holy Spirit convict you right there and then. May be a voice in your soul saying, don't do it. It will not honor you nor God. It's like that lady that was buying the lottery ticket. I was right behind her in a corner store, and I said, don't do it. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gollerher, and I appreciate this opportunity to bring again God's Word to you. A theme in our message here today is Blessed Assurance. We're going to have a hymn by Fanny Crosby, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And certainly for a Christian to be assured of eternal life, that our sins are forgiven, and we are right with God, is one of the most blessed experiences of all. In First John 5.13, we read, These things have I written unto you that believe, on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Well, this is the basis of blessed assurance, the Word of God, the promises, the doctrines of the gospel. The fact that Christ died according to the Scriptures, and that he rose again according to the Scriptures. These are the great facts upon which the gospel of our Lord Jesus is based. And in that way, we can have blessed assurance. Now, in our church, of course, we love to sing the hymn, Blessed Assurance. And today, we are also going to sing Blessed Assurance. Now, the message today is in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, and the title of that is True Riches. It grieves me greatly to see many so zealous after the empty riches of this world, the stock, stock exchange, the um, development business, all in the rush to make money. And how empty it is. When does a man or woman ever have enough? Well, never. They never have enough. And in this world, men are seldom content with such things as they have. They must pile more and more. Well, for the Christian, there are the true riches, and may we be zealous for the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. The work of the gospel does not advance by neglect. And just as you are to take care of your home, your car, your farm, your dog, your sheep, your cattle, you are also to give diligent care to the work of the gospel. And if we neglect God's work. It will decline. And so your energy, your diligence, your work is required in the house of God. And we're told here that the law is, so shall thy barns be filled. There is also here the law of spiritual sowing. And if we read verses 9 and 10 uh, together we'll see this Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine So you can see the law if you sow you reap if you give you get and the Lord's blessing will be upon that Now the Lord keeps accounts. And the Lord blesses us in this life with rewards for honoring him. Yes, in this life. Now, I'm probably 90-something percent of the time preaching about eternal rewards, that if you take up the cross and follow Christ, you have a glorious heaven. You will be delivered from the torments of hell— But this text calls me to preach what is here, and that is that if you serve God in this life, he will bless you also in this life. There are immediate earthly rewards that the Christian enjoys. And so the Christian has it best both ways. We have his blessing now, and we have his blessing in eternity, and so we can have his best in every ways. How will you ever see this back again? That's my little heading here that I have to try and work through. The farmer knows that the more he sows, the greater the harvest If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Now, growing up on a farm, you see this every year. Self-evident. Put the seeds in, they grow, the harvest comes. But for someone who perhaps has never grown up on a farm, and maybe a city slicker, you live in a 29th floor in a skyscraper, and you're about as far removed from the farming world as I can picture. You say, you What? You take these bags of seed, you pull them off the truck, you pay big money for seed, and what do you do with it? You dig the ground and scatter it and bury it, and you expect that that's going to appear again? Well, actually, it has to rot first. The seed rots in the soil, and when it dies, it actually grows and brings a new harvest multiplied at the harvest time. Okay. And so you actually need to see this in operation a time or two to recognize that it is the law of the land. And what you sow, you also reap. Now, what is true in the natural world is true in your life. What you sow, what you do with your money, you will reap. You sow it to the flesh, you will reap a harvest of the flesh. Let's be frank. We're living in an absolute epidemic of drugs and addictions. And there was a major article in in the newspaper this week of the ravages of alcoholism in British Columbia. It is the worst report in B.C. than any other province. Admissions to hospital for alcoholism is staggering. Billions of dollars in health care are spent on alcoholics seeking to be rehabilitated. Why is this such a problem? Because people sow to the flesh. Now, when young people get money we soon discover what's in their hearts. And I beg you, don't even be tempted to go the way of alcoholism and drugs. Now, that's almost like an old man's advice to young people, because we know that young people don't take that first drink intending to be an alcoholic. And we know that people don't take that first pill or drug injection with the intention of becoming an addict. But it is the step that leads to addiction for multitudes, and it ruins. Have you ever seen the devastation of drugs? Have you ever been down on Cordova Street, Hastings, on Welfare Wednesday, when the streets are littered with people overdosed and ruined? Do you know where they sleep at night? Do you know what it's like for them to live in a body that is craving for the next fix? It is torment. It is a little bit of hell here on earth. Coming out of the city just this week, Grandview Avenue, approaching number one just before Boundary, there was this man staggering, And if I was to draw a picture of the impact of drugs, there he is. He walked, not just with a stoop, but with, as if one side was paralyzed, almost sideways. His hair was matted, his clothes, I can't say they were the most filthy I've seen, but they were most unfitting clothes. He had a bag of some kind probably all his earthly goods in that bag. That man was born into this world, probably into a healthy, happy home, and somewhere crossed the line. The Bible speaks to this. Honor the Lord with thy substance. Now, substance here is not talking about drugs. This substance is your material things. And if you do what is right in the eyes of God, making good use of your life and of your possessions, you honor him. And it leads to blessing, the blessing of stability, health, productivity, a clear mind, a healthy body, I'm repeating myself, and you become a support to those around you. I had a call from a man this week, a radio listener. He has a son who is on the streets in Vancouver and doesn't know how to find him. He's at his wit's end. He asked for prayer. Would you pray for Colson? That's the son's name. I said, if it was my son, I would try to find him by whatever means. I would try to locate him. He might be sleeping under a bridge somewhere. He might be at death's door. I don't know. But I would try to find him. And I would try to reason with him. And even try to bring him home. His father, Steve, said he would try that. There's a boy that's breaking his father's heart. He's not a blessing to his father, he's a burden. What a tragedy it would be that if I'm looking into the eye of some young person here today and you are going the road of ruin because of what you're going to do with your money. And let's face it, sin requires money, whether it's vice, drugs, alcohol, or other such pleasures in this world, it will suck your money and leave you a pauper. Honor the Lord with thy substance. First Samuel 2.30 says, Then that honor me I will honor. That's in this life. Proverbs 11, verse 25. Here's another proverb that speaks to this same very subject. Verse 25. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth, shall be watered also himself." Now, that's speaking of generosity, the right use of your money, the liberal soul to help, to be a missionary or a ministry of some kind, to make your dollar count for good. That's what that addresses, Proverbs 11.25. And then Proverbs 22.9, "'He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. And so that is the way to honor the Lord with your substance. Now, as I said, the most successful businessman should be a Christian. Christians should have the best work ethic, productivity, right use of their assets and benefits and opportunities, managing them well. And it tends to life, to blessing, to prosperity, and it honors God, and, of course, the Christian thereby is doing all as unto the Lord. And God cares what you do with your substance. And so I'm going to challenge you. The next time that you use your money for something that is for the pleasures of sin, May the Holy Spirit convict you right there and then. May be a voice in your soul saying, Don't do it. It will not honor you nor God. It's like that lady that was buying the lottery ticket. And I was right behind her in a corner store, and I said, Don't do it. Don't do it. And she bought the lottery ticket and wasted her money. All of these things are gimmicks and are the weapons of the devil to destroy. God cares about your soul. God cares about your body. And God cares uh, for his own honor. God wants you to recognize two things in particular. Number one, he gives you the riches. He's the one that gives you the power to get wealth. And, And even though it's your parents' pocket money that they're giving you, God is the one that uses them to give you that blessing. Also recognize that you are but a steward of the good things that God gives to you. And you are to use your material things for his honor. You're only a steward. And every day that we live, we are using those benefits for the kingdom and for the day that we will stand before God. Hezekiah was told to set his house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Hezekiah was to use what God had given him that it might be for God's glory and honor, to have wealth that has to be repented of, to have material things that we're using for lust and pleasure and sin, and the devil is using for his kingdom. How shall we stand before God and give account on that judgment day? The things that God blessed you with, you turned them into a curse. Your use and emphasis on wealth and money will also be your testimony for God. To be a lover of what Paul called filthy lucre will tarnish your witness for Christ. If it's all that you talk about, if it's what you dream about, if it's what consumes you, if it's what you're living for, then it is going to ruin you. You must honor God with your dollars, and then you can honor him with your devotion. You can't spend your money on the things of sin and then get down on your knees and be in communion with him. It won't work. You will rob the blessing of God in your own soul if you use your money for this world. God does not ask for cheap religion. Yes, salvation is free, God's redemption is by grace, free, undeserving mercy. But it will cost you every dollar in your pocket to live for God's glory. And that's the gospel call to live for God's glory. There can be no greater use of our wealth than to exalt the name of Jesus and to seek the extension of his kingdom. We are sold out. And I use that word advisedly, sold out. A Christian's testimony, make my life shine for my Savior. And what I do with my money will be a very big part of how I shine for Him. Think of the millions today that have no gospel. Think of the many in the world that have no Bible, they don't know the name of Jesus. Think of missionaries who feel the call of God, but there's no one to send them. Think of Christians who live in in Canada we all live like kings. There's not a poor person around us. There's not a normal, healthy person around us that's not living in daily luxuries. And yet there are souls in the world that are perishing. We are generous in the world, but mean with money. Contrast the multimillionaire at the judgment day giving account to God with the Christian who may not have had so much in this world, but used it well and glorified the Lord. What an easy account that will be. You could have riches in this life. And we all do. Let's face it. We all do. And you can also give glory to God. You can have your soul saved by trusting only in the death of Christ at the cross and still use your riches for his kingdom's sake. Thankfully, no man can be saved by his money not by silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus. Let me ask you another question. With this, I close. What will a dollar be worth on the judgment day? Our Canadian dollar is having a rough ride. It seems to lose a penny and gain a tenth of a penny, lose another penny, and then gain another little bit and down again. Money can lose its value very quickly what would one dollar be worth at the judgment day? I want you to think on that. I want that to help you use your money well and bring glory to God as a Christian. And I want it to be a warning to someone here who thinks you can be right with God without the blood and death of Christ. You can't. Honor the Lord with thy riches. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Our little hymn today is Blessed Assurance. Should I say, our hymn story, Blessed Assurance. Francis Ridley Havergal and Francis or Fanny Crosby never met, but they became dear pen pals, the two most famous women, hymnists of their age, the former in England and the latter in America. Havergal once wrote a poem about her American counterpart. Sweet blind singer o'er the sea, tuneful and jubilant, how can it be that the songs of gladness which float so far as if they fell from the evening star are the notes of one who may never see visible music of flower and tree. Oh, how her heart can see, her heart can see, and its sight is strong and swift and free. Another of Fanny's dearest friends was Phoebe Knapp. While Fanny lived in the Manhattan slums and worked in rescue missions, Phoebe lived in the Knapp Mansion, a palatial residence in Brooklyn, where she entertained lavishly. She was an extravagant dresser with a wardrobe of elaborate gowns and diamond tiaras. Her music room contained one of the finest collections of instruments in the country, and Fanny was a frequent house guest. One day in 1873, while Fanny was staying at the Knapp Mansion, Phoebe said she had a tune she wanted to play. Going to the music room, she sat at the piano and played a new composition of her own. "'while the blind hymnist listened. "'Fanny immediately clapped her hands and exclaimed, "'What that says is blessed assurance.' "'She quickly composed the words, "'and a great hymn was born.' "'Many years later, D.L. Moody was preaching in New York "'at the 23rd Street Dutch Reformed Church. "'The Moody-Sankey meetings had popularized "'Fanny Crosby's hymns around the world.' and had made the blind poetess a household name. But whenever she attended a Moody Sankey meeting, she refused to be recognized, disavowing a claim. This day the church was so crowded she could find nowhere to sit. Moody's son, Will, seeing her, offered to find her a seat. To her bewilderment, he led her onto the platform, just as the crowd was singing Blessed Assurance. Moody Sr. jumped to his feet, raised his hand, and interrupted the singing. Praise the Lord, he shouted. Here comes the authoress. Fanny took her seat amid thunderous ovation, humbly thanking God for making her a blessing to many.